Hello Crypt Keepers, hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 21 of Cryptique. Glad to be here with my co-pilot on this journey through the cosmos and the only man I know who donates used underwear to Goodwill. <laughs> Ryan, how are you? I'm good. You know, some people like that look, that my used underwear get that cobweb look. <laughs> There's probably people in Goodwill sniffing them right now, just to make sure they're edible. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, we talked about it on some of the fetish episodes we've done. All right, enough with the nastiness. We're on the hunt for new subscribers. Please, if you haven't done so already, subscribe, like, follow, all that good stuff. Don't forget to check out Exploring Evil and Movie Hell, and please send us your case suggestions or guest suggestions, people that you want to hear from, at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Tonight's show... It's a little corny to say this, but it's out of this world. What are we talking about tonight? Tonight we are talking about the Rendlesham Forest incident, which took place in Suffolk, England in the UK, also known as Britain's Roswell. The Rendlesham Forest incident was a series of reported sightings of unexplained lights near Rendlesham Forest in late December of 1980, which became linked with claims of UFO landings. The events occurred just outside RAF Woodbridge, which was used at the time by the United States Air Force. Uh, so you're going to hear RAF. What that means is just Royal Air Force. So whenever you hear RAF, we're talking about the uh, British Air Force. U.S. Air Force personnel, including Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, claimed to see things they described as a UFO sighting. The occurrence is the most famous of claimed UFO events to have happened in the United Kingdom and is among the best-known reported UFO events worldwide. It has been compared to the Roswell UFO incident in the United States and is sometimes referred to as Britain's Roswell, as we mentioned earlier. The UK Ministry of Defense has stated the event posed no threat to national security and therefore it was never investigated as a security matter. Skeptics have explained the sightings as a misinterpretation of a series of nocturnal lights, a fireball, the Orfordness Lighthouse, and bright stars. Around 0300 on the 26th of December 1980, reported as the 27th of December by Halt in his memo to the UK Ministry of Defense, a security patrol near the east gate of RAF Woodbridge saw lights apparently descending into nearby Rendlesham Forest. These lights have been attributed by astronomers to a piece of natural debris seen burning up as a fireball over southern England at the time. Servicemen initially thought it was a downed aircraft, but upon entering the forest to investigate, they saw, according to Halt's memo, what they described as a glowing object, metallic in appearance, with colored lights. As they attempted to approach the object, it appeared to move through the trees, and the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. One of the servicemen, Sergeant Jim Penniston, later claimed to have encountered a craft of unknown origin while in the forest, although there was no publicized mention of this at the time and there is no corroboration from other witnesses. Shortly after 0400, local police were called to the scene but reported that the only lights they could see were those of the Orfordness Lighthouse some miles away on the coast. 
After daybreak on the morning of 26th of December, servicemen returned to a small clearing near the eastern gate of the forest and found three small impressions on the ground in a triangular pattern, as well as burn marks and broken branches on nearby trees. At 10.30, the local police were called out again, this time to see the impressions which they thought could have been made by an animal. Georgina Bruni, in her book You Can't Tell the People, published a photograph of the supposed landing site taken on the morning after the first sighting. The deputy base commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, visited the site with several servicemen in the hours of December 28, 1980, reported as the 29th by Halt. They took radiation readings in the Triangle of Depressions and in the surrounding area using an ANPDR-27, a standard U.S. military radiation survey meter. Although they recorded a .07, you gotta be kidding me, milli, milli, rongens, rongens. Although they recorded 0.07 millirontgens per hour, and I apologize if I mispronounce that term, in other regions they detected levels of 0.03 to 0.04 per hour around the background level. Furthermore, they detected a similar small burst over half a mile away from the landing site. Halt recorded the events on a micro cassette recorder. It was during this investigation that a flashing light was seen across the field to the east, almost in line with a farmhouse, as the witnesses had seen on the first night. The Orfordness Lighthouse is visible further to the east in the same line of sight. Later, according to Halt's memo, three star-like lights were seen in the sky, two to the north and one to the south, about 10 degrees above the horizon. Halt said that the brightest of these hovered for two to three hours and seemed to beam down a stream of light from time to time. Astronomers have explained these star-like lights as bright stars. The first piece of primary evidence to be made available to the public was a memorandum written by the Deputy Base Commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, to the Ministry of Defense, known as the Halt Memo. This was made publicly available in the United States under the U.S. Freedom of Information Act in 1983. The memorandum was dated January 13, 1981, under the title, Unexplained Lights. The memo was not classified in any way. Halt has since gone on record as saying he believes that he witnessed an extraterrestrial event that was then covered up. Let's talk about the Halt tape. In 1984, a copy of what became known as the HALT tape was released to UFO researchers by Colonel Sam Morgan, who had by then succeeded Ted Conrad as HALT's superior. The tape chronicles HALT's investigation in the forest in real time, including taking radiation readings, the sighting of the flashing light between trees, and the star-like objects that hovered and twinkled. The tape has been transcribed by researcher Ian Ridpath, who includes a link to an audio download and also a step-by-step -step analysis of the entire contents of the tape. Statements from eyewitnesses on the 26th of December. 
1997, Scottish researcher James Easton obtained the original witness statements made by those involved in the first night sightings. One of the witnesses, Ed Cabinsag, said in his statement, quote, We figured the lights were coming from past the forest since nothing was visible when we passed through the woody forest. We would see a glowing near the beacon light, but as we got closer, we found it to be a lit up farmhouse. We got to a vantage point where we could determine that what we were chasing was only a beacon of light off in the distance. Another participant, John Burroughs, also stated, quote, We could see a beacon going around, so we went towards it. We followed it for about two miles before we could see it was coming from a lighthouse. Burroughs reported a noise, quote, Like a woman was screaming. And also that you could hear the farm animals making a lot of noises. Halt heard the same noises two nights later. Such noise could have been made by the muntjac deer in the forest, which are known for their loud, shrill bark when alarmed. This is the text of the single-page memo written by Halt to the UK's Ministry of Defense reporting what was to become known as the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. One... Early in the morning of the 27th of December, 1980, two USAF security police patrolmen saw unusual lights outside the back gate at RAF Woodbridge. Thinking an aircraft might have crashed or been forced down, they called for permission to go outside the gate to investigate. The on-duty flight chief responded and allowed three patrolmen to proceed on foot. The individuals reported seeing a strange glowing object in the forest. The object was described as being metallic in appearance and triangular in shape, approximately 2 to 3 meters across the base and approximately 2 meters high. It illuminated the entire forest with a white light. The object itself had a pulsing red light on top and a bank of blue lights underneath. The object was hovering or on legs. As the patrolman approached the object, it maneuvered through the trees and disappeared. At this time, the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. The object was briefly sighted approximately an hour later near the back gate. Before we go any further, I just want to throw out there that skeptics or debunkers or people trying to hide the truth are going to blame everything on more natural phenomena. And this is important that you understand what he is describing, because I think most of us have at least seen a lighthouse on TV, right? And We've seen shooting stars and we've seen events that, you know, put out strange lights or whatever, eclipses, things like that. But it's hard to imagine that a trained officer would mistake a lighthouse for what was just described. So just chew on that as we're going through because that's pretty specific. And I think that, I mean, I can't think of any, you know, event, celestial event or otherwise that would make you think that there's a silver object with running lights hovering in the forest. And I know people are going to say, well, swamp gas. Fuck swamp gas, dude. It's not swamp (laughs) gas. All right, go ahead. Number two. The next day, three depressions 1.5 inches deep and 7 inches in diameter were found where the object had been sighted on the ground. The following night, the 29th of December 1980, the area was checked for radiation. Beta gamma readings of 0.1 were recorded with peak readings in the three depressions and near the center of the triangle formed by the depressions. A nearby tree had moderate 
0.05 to 0.07 readings on the side of the tree toward the depressions. 3. Later in the night, a red, sun-like light was seen through the trees. It moved about and pulsed. At one point, it appeared to throw off glowing particles and then broke into five separate white objects and then disappeared. Immediately thereafter, three star-like objects were noticed in the sky. Two objects to the north and one to the south, all of which were about 10 degrees off the horizon. The objects moved rapidly in sharp, angular movements and displayed red, green, and blue lights. The objects to the north appeared to be elliptical through an 8-12 power lens. They then turned to full circles. The objects to the north remained in the sky for an hour or more. The object to the south was visible for two or three hours and beamed down a stream of light from time to time. Numerous individuals, including the undersigned, witnessed the activities in paragraphs 2 and 3. Signed, Charles Halt, Lieutenant Colonel, USAF, Deputy Base Commander. The Halt Affidavit In June 2010, retired Colonel Charles Halt signed a notarized affidavit in which he again summarized what had happened, then stated that he believed the events to be extraterrestrial and that it had been covered up by both the UK and US. We'll read you his affidavit right after the break. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Welcome back to Cryptique. All right, so you guys are going to have to bear with me on this because this is a photocopy that I'm reading off of, and it's not great. And you know how my reading skills are anyway, so I'm going to do the best I can. So this is the affidavit, and these paragraphs I'm reading are all numbered, but I'm just going to read it through. So... My name is Charles Halt. I was born on Redacted. My address is Redacted. You can find out his birth date if you want, but there's no need to find out his address. So, I served in the U.S. Air Force for 28 years, retiring in 1991 with the rank of Colonel. That's a pretty high rank. So we're talk we're not talking about a guy who you know got some mad honey and walked out into the forest and started tripping balls. We're talking about a colonel in the Air Force. And as the military would have you believe, their leadership is beyond reproach, right? In December 1980, I was the deputy base commander at the Anglo-American base RAF Bentwaters in Suffolk, England. 
Late in the evening on December 27th and continuing into the pre-dawn hours of December 28th, in response to reports of unusual lights in nearby Rendlesham Forest, I led a team of USAF security policemen into the woods to investigate. This was the second such incident in as many days, and rumors of UFO activity were rife on the base. By going into the forest, my intention was to find a logical explanation for the mysterious lights. And that's what you want in any kind of paranormal investigation or ghost hunting or police work even. You want to try and disprove that it was something paranormal, which makes sense because you want to eliminate all the logical possibilities. You don't want to just jump into, hey, it was a UFO. And police do the same thing. They don't, well, they're supposed to work hard to try and clear every suspect. And then what you're left over is kind of the, you know, batch of, hey, maybe these people need to be looked into deeper. But in any case, while in Rendlesham Forest, our security team observed a light that looked like a large eye red in color, moving through the trees. So that's important. It's It sounds like to me, and you may disagree, that moving through the trees means behind trees and in front of trees. Do, do you agree with that? I do, yeah. Okay. After a few minutes, this object began dripping, something that looked like molten metal. A short while later, it broke into several smaller, white-colored objects which flew away in all directions. Claims by skeptics that this was merely a sweeping beam from a distant lighthouse are unfounded. We could see the unknown light and the lighthouse simultaneously. The latter was 35 to 40 degrees off where all of this was happening. So that'll come into play later too. They knew about the lighthouse. They had seen the lighthouse many times it's not something where you know these guys were on patrol or on duty and they saw the lighthouse for seven straight weeks every night and then all of a sudden they're like oh my gosh you see that light it can't be the same lighthouse that's you know been doing the same thing for the past god knows how long it's mm-hmm. got to be a ufo so they knew about the lighthouse right there yeah kind of a personal example of something like that i early living at this house that i'm living at Uh um there's a like a small lake in this neighborhood and the cove of that extends down behind my house and i noticed one night getting home that there was this light that almost looked like it was coming from in the water Hmm. but i you know kind of looked around and walked into the yard and i noticed that what it was was really it was uh like a porch light Mm -hmm. you know across the water on the other side I couldn't see the light because of the trees, but I could see it bouncing off the water. And the way it hit, it was just really dull and whatever. And I never mistook it for anything else again. Right. Like, once I realized what it was, it was like, yeah, that's that porch light from that guy's house over there. Like, there was no, you know, the same way that when you live in a townhouse or an apartment, like, you get to know the weird noises. You don't think it's haunted because you hear right. your neighbor, like, slam their microwave door or whatever. Like, you, you get to know those noises and you get to know the kind of ambient things that are around you. Yeah, you're like, well, I guess my neighbor got the Viagra in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I agree. I don't. I feel like that's, I don't know, almost silly to say that it was that lighthouse. Yeah, in claiming that that's what it was you're 
not doing much for supporting your ability to promote the right people to the right places. If your colonel fucks everything up, then yeah, you're <sighs> you're kind of pointing the finger at yourself too. But in any case, upon leaving the forest, our team crossed a farmer's field. As we did so, someone pointed out three objects in the northern sky. They were white and had multiple colored lights on them. At first, the objects appeared elliptical, but as they maneuvered, turned full round. They were stationary for a while, and then they started to move at high speed in sharp, angular patterns as though they were doing a grid search, not something a lighthouse light does. About that same time, someone noticed a similar object in the southern sky. It was round, and at one point, it came towards us at a very high rate of speed. It stopped overhead and sent down a small pencil-like beam, sort of like a laser beam, that illuminated the ground about 10 feet from us, and we just stood there in awe, wondering whether it was a signal, a warning, or what it was. It clicked off as though someone threw a switch, and then the object receded back up into the sky. And this isn't the end of the affidavit, but that would be pretty scary if if you saw an unexplained object in the sky and then you had a laser beam land in front of you. What do we use laser beams for? I mean, it's pretty much to play with cats and target people, right? I know oh. there's a lot of other things, you know, I, I'm, but, you know, that's... But I like it. I like the idea of an alien gray trying to play with a human with a laser pointer. It, see if we'll chase. it could be. Or he could have been like, hey, um, I can hit you with a direct energy beam if you guys don't go back to the base. So either yeah. way, I would much prefer to chase a laser around than to be shot at by a direct energy weapon or whatever kind of stuff these aliens have because we have no idea. This object then moved back towards Bentwaters and continued to send down beams of light. At one point near the weapons storage area, now that would be a highly guarded building or series of buildings, I would assume. Yeah. We knew that because we could hear the chatter on the two-way radio. Several airmen present later told me that they saw the beams. I don't remember any names at this point. From my position in the forest, it appeared that one or more beams came down near the WSA, which would be the weapon storage area. At the time, the object was just to the north of the facility. I had great concern about the purpose of the beams, as would I. In keeping with official U.S. Air Force policy, I can neither confirm nor deny that the weapon storage area held nuclear weapons. However, I am aware that other former or retired United States Air Force security police who worked there at the time of the incident are now on the record confirming the presence of tactical nuclear bombs at the weapons storage area. I believe the objects that I saw at close quarter were extraterrestrial in origin and that the security services of both the United States and the United Kingdom have attempted, both then and now, to subvert the significance of what occurred at Rendlesham Forest and RAF Bentwaters by the use of well-practiced methods of disinformation. It's rare that a military person would come out later, especially someone who's enjoying the perks of retirement as a colonel, would come out and 
basically just accused the military of two different countries covering it up. So right. to me, that that holds some weight that it, it's basically one of two things. Either he totally believes that that is the case or I want to have a career second career of going to speak at UFO conventions and book writing and stuff like that. So it could be either. But if the military had done a good job of selecting people to promote, then we would have to assume that Halt is an honorable man who's telling the truth, at least from his point of view. So what do you mm-hmm. what do you think? You think he's trying to get a second career or do you think he's being honest? I think he's probably being honest. I do too. I don't think he's getting rich off this. Right. He's probably waiting for a point where really not much can be done to yeah. him. And then reporting it, you know, reporting what he thinks people need to know. Sure. All right. So that is the end of the affidavit. Contradictions between this affidavit and the facts as recorded at the time in Halt's memo and tape recording have been pointed out. In 2010, Base Commander Colonel Ted Conrad provided a statement about the incident. Conrad stated that, quote, We saw nothing that resembled Lieutenant Colonel Halt's descriptions either in the sky or on the ground. We had people in position to validate Halt's narrative, but none of them could. In an interview, Conrad criticized Halt for the claims in his affidavit, saying he should be ashamed and embarrassed by his allegation that his country and Britain both conspire to deceive their citizens over this issue. Because we know that the military and our government hides nothing from the people. It's a shame on you for even putting out there that something like this could be even conceived of by our totally transparent military and government. But anyway, he goes on to say he knows better. Conrad also disputed the testimony of Sergeant Jim Penniston, who claimed to have touched an alien spacecraft. He said that he interviewed Penniston at the time, and he had not mentioned any such occurrence. Conrad also suggested that the entire incident might have been a hoax. A 1983 Omni article says Colonel Ted Conrad, the base commander, recalls five Air Force policemen spotted lights from what they thought was a small plane descending into the forest. Two of the men tracked the object on foot and came upon a large tripod-mounted craft. It had no windows but was studded with brilliant red and blue lights. Each time the men came within 50 yards of the ship, Conrad relates, it levitated six feet in the air and backed away. They followed it for almost an hour through the woods and across a field until it took off at phenomenal speed. Acting on the reports made by his men, Colonel Conrad began a brief investigation of the incident in the morning. He went into the forest and located a triangular pattern ostensibly made by the tripod legs. He did interview two of the eyewitnesses and concludes, Those lads saw something, but I don't know what it was. Again... We have contradiction. One of the main things in this, I think, that causes an issue is the date. Because some dates are reported differently, and we think it's because it happened overnight. And that the incident started on one day and finished on another day. And they just get a little mixed up in the dates. Right. That's something that, you know, should be taken into account. 
but you can't eliminate everything because they got the date wrong. Suffolk police were called to the scene on the night of the initial sighting and again the following morning but found nothing unusual. On the night of the initial incident, they reported that the only lights visible were from Orford Lighthouse. They attributed the indentations in the ground to animals. The Suffolk Constabulary file on the case was released in 2005 under the UK's Freedom of Information Act and can be accessed on their website. It includes a letter dated 28th of July, 1999, written by Inspector Mike Topless. Great name. He has a lot of bars on the hillside, Mr. <laughs> Topless. <laughs> yes, that is, man, if I ever open like a gentleman's club, it's going to be Mike Topless's. <laughs> Topless notes that one of the police constables who attended the scene on the first night returned to the site in daylight in case he had missed something. There's nothing to be seen, and he remains unconvinced that the occurrence was genuine, wrote Topless. The immediate area was swept by powerful light beams from a landing beacon at RAF Bentwaters and the Orfordness Lighthouse. I know from personal experience that at night, in certain weather and cloudy conditions, these beams were very pronounced and certainly caused strange visual effects. So... This guy knows from personal experience, so we just totally take his word for it. There are things, I'm sure, that these officers in the military have seen. I mean, it's odd to me, and I know that 10 pieces of weak evidence don't make up for one piece of strong evidence, but there's a lot of small pieces of what I consider fairly strong evidence. I don't think that these people that went out to investigate these lights were like overwhelmed and, you know, they're just basically idiots who didn't understand how lighthouse beams bounce off of fog. And, you know, there was a Russian satellite that crashed in the area in the ocean off the coast and that's what they saw and that rabbits were the ones that dug these tripod holes and these deer were the ones that were making these weird sounds and the porch light from this farm made it seem like there was a red laser being pointed at your feet it's just to me sounds like a really weak cover-up and if i was in charge i would just go to the people and say hey if you want your military retirement, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Let's talk about the Ministry of Defense file. Evidence of a substantial Ministry of Defense file on the subject led to claims of a cover-up. Some interpreted this as part of a larger pattern of information suppression concerning the true nature of unidentified flying objects sometimes now referred to as UAP or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena by both the United States and the British governments. However, when the file was released in 2001, it turned out to consist mostly of internal correspondence and responses to inquiries from the public. And we know that there's no way that anything could have been modified, changed, suppressed, withdrawn, redacted, anything like that. So we're 100% sure we're getting all the information in 2001, right? Wrong. The lack of any in-depth investigation in the publicly released documents is consistent with the MOD's earlier statement that they never took the case seriously. 
Included in the released files is an explanation given by Defense Minister Lord Trefgarn as to why the MOD did not investigate further. Anybody who has the title of Lord is going to get punched in the face. You don't get to be Lord anymore. That's fucking back in the days of castles and shit. I, I just hate some of these terms. But anyway, so let's cover the skeptical analysis. A white shield blocked the light from the town of Orford, but not from the forest where the sighting occurred. So, what is this white shield? They they never go into that. So, that's kind of odd. You know, it just doesn't really make any sense. But one proposed theory is that the incident was a hoax. The BBC reported that a former U.S. security policeman... Kevin Condy claimed responsibility for creating strange lights in the forest by driving around in a police vehicle whose lights he had modified. However, there's no evidence that this prank took place on the nights in question, and there's never any mention of any Jeep tracks or Land Rover, whatever they used over there. So there's that, and that it took place on a different night. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I was not in the military. I would think they would frown on, hey, I'm going to prank people that there's a UFO near the weapons storage facility. It seems like that would be frowned upon. They're trying to dismiss it as one dude was like pissed off. So he rigged some weird lights and stuff on a military vehicle and drove that into the forest with a speaker oh. and made strange sounds to prank his buddies at the other base or his enemies, whatever. But I just can't imagine someone being like, hey, I'm going to pull a prank. I'm going to make it seem like there's UFOs near a nuclear facility. That should be a funny joke, huh? I'm sure my superiors will think it's funny too. Right. Yeah, that's a... That's a no-joke zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a really serious situation to try something like that. And also, vehicles leave evidence. Right. You would have, I mean, if you're running around in the forest, like one, you'd be able to tell from the motor pool that a, that a vehicle was mm -hmm. gone that night. You would also probably find some kind of tire tracks. I know that every once in a while I get lazy when I'm turning around in the driveway and I just roll through the grass a little bit. And you can see it, at least for a little while. And it's just, I mean, it's a small car, not like a military Jeep or something. Right. And it's on a lawn. And you can still, you right. know, you're not like, trying to yeah you're not this like you know all this heathland <laughs> yeah i was trying to think of something other than because i don't know i guess it's because we're talking about the uk i'm thinking monty python like shrubbery <laughs> <laughs> all this like growth is all like undergrowth in the uh -huh. forest like all that would be depressed or even burned because i've seen you know videos where a vehicle going through like tall grass and like brush can set some of it on fire Right, yeah, yeah. I don't think a Jeep is going to leave three perfectly triangular indentions in a perfectly triangular pattern. I mean, I, I've i never owned a Jeep, but a lot of my friends have had Jeeps. And we have, well, first of all, Jeeps will go through some crazy shit. I mean, there's times when we've been four-wheeling, and I'm like, nope, there's no way. Let me out. I don't want to flip going through that, and the Jeep goes through it no problem. But... There's big, muddy tracks everywhere. The, you know, if you're four-wheeling 
you your tires will still spin and dig it's it's not like magic there is a lot of evidence that something has been there and if you're going through a forest that doesn't normally have vehicles traveling through it there's going to be evidence and it's not going to be radiation and a triangular landing pattern so i i think i mean i personally i throw that one out i i think that that's either a smoke screen or maybe the guy did claim responsibility and said he did it but it seems like that would be a a big risk you know like it's it's not a joke it's not funny mm-hmm. i want to just make this remark for people listening i'm not saying that a jeep running through the forest would set stuff on mm-hmm. fire I'm just saying it's making noise it's producing heat it's like you said slinging mud it's digging into the ground like the tread mm-hmm. be some kind of evidence somewhere sure that, that if they if they were able to find those little seven inch indentations then they would have found tire tracks or where it's scraped up against something or you know whatever right like maybe a what whatever some kind of like burn mark on some whatever from like a tailpipe that hit it or you know like the exhaust touched down on something when they were going over a bump like there would have been some kind of whatever evidence and you would think that the officers would have been familiar with what that would look like it's not like they're going to see tire tracks and be like i don't know what that is it must be the landing gear from an alien spaceship from Beta reticuli or you know wherever they think they came from so mm-hmm. it's i'm throwing it out are you throwing it out yeah all right we're in agreement other explanations for the incident have included a down soviet spy satellite but no evidence has been produced to support this now that's not saying that there's going to be a whole lot of information on a soviet spy satellite so we can't just totally dismiss that The most plausible skeptical explanation is that the sightings were due to a combination of three main factors. (sighs) The initial sighting at 0300 on 26 of December when the airmen saw something apparently descending into the forest coincided with the appearance of a bright fireball over southern England and such fireballs are a common source of UFO reports. I'm not a MUFON guy. Uh, I believe that aliens exist whether they're from a different dimension or a different galaxy or whatever is kind of up in the air for me but i've never heard of like oh yeah there's fireballs all the time in the sky it's you know (laughs) I, i mean it seems like it's written as a fireball maybe they mean a shooting star but the way it's it's presented as a bright fireball over southern england and they are a common source of UFO reports. It is what it is. I guess I can't say no, there was definitely not a fireball in the sky over southern England. But again, if it's common, you would think that these people would know about it. And if I'm in charge, I'm having a meeting and saying, guys, I want you to understand there's fireballs that appear in the sky over southern England. So that's something you need to know. That's important. You need to know that what you're looking at isn't a ufo and i find it hard to believe that these people weren't at least briefed on these common fireballs in the sky i don't know what do you think fireballs in the sky over southern england 
I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't know what it would be. I mean, maybe they, maybe these are military aircraft that appear as fireballs, but at this point, you would think that they would have come out and said, no, you know, we were testing an aircraft or, or whatever. You know, they're not just going to stick to, it's fireballs. Yeah. Dalsum was out there spitting fireballs into the sky. I mean, even if there was something shooting through the sky, like a shooting star or something that was falling or whatever, would it stay around for an hour? Right. Or however long they said they were encountering this thing and like chasing it around like fireballs. Like if there was a piece of space debris or something like that that was falling through the atmosphere that you could see. Because mm-hmm. I know that there, there are sites that track like satellites coming by or like when you know if, if something's going to fall or whatever. If there's something you can see. Right. There should be a record. Right. At my old townhouse, I had a neighbor who was into that stuff. Every once in a while, I'd come home and he would be standing outside and I'd go over and I'd be like, hey, what's what's happening tonight? And he's like, oh, this particular satellite should be visible in two more minutes. Uh-huh. But, like, none of that stuff, I, sh- I shouldn't say none, but, I mean, it just seems unlikely that something that you're seeing like that would stick around that long or be low enough that you think you're seeing it in the trees, like, right, in the forest, right. or that it's hovering six feet above the ground in front of you. Right. And if they were to come out and say we were testing some new types of flares or something like that that were meant to, you know, stay aloft for a while... That would be mm-hmm. a- another story, but they're just blaming it on random fireballs. I mean, it seems like such a cop-out. Like, hey, I'm sorry I'm late for work, but there was fireballs. There was fireballs. But in any case, so strike two. Uh, the supposed landing marks were identified police and foresters. Uh, I assume they mean people from you know, the forestry department or agriculture department or whatever, but they were dismissed as rabbit diggings. I have rabbits in my neighborhood that run around like the Bloods and Crips, dude. There's gangs, seven, eight, that (laughs) roll together, and they are not scared of dogs or anything. And I have rabbit diggings in my yard frequently. I have never had an equilateral triangle dig pattern and triangle holes. Is anything possible? Sure. Well, Ryan's a lot smarter than me. He could do the math to find out what the odds are of random rabbits digging a perfect triangular pattern with triangular holes. I mean, the the odds seem enormous that 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 could have happened. And I know people are going to say, oh, well, it's more possible that that happened than an alien visitor. But at this point, you know, maybe in 1980, I could see people saying that for sure. But now, I mean, it's all but out there that UAPs are real. So I don't know. The odds seem very long that this was created by rabbits. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I have pet rabbits. Mm-hmm. Ever, you know, we give them like our Amazon boxes sometimes. You know, we take whatever they can't eat off of them because they like to chew on them, but they've never cut a like perfect circle right. before or like done things in a specific pattern that made us even wonder, like, oh, was this them? Right. Because patterns yeah. like that just don't appear in nature. There's an underwater pyramid type structure just off the coast of Japan where there are a ton of cuts in rock with 90 degree angles and naysayers are saying no that's just natural well is it natural that there's 183 
perfect right angles cut into this rock that's underwater in Japan? I I don't know. I I mean, I have never seen perfect equilateral patterns in nature. And I'm not, you know, Les Stroud, who's out in the forest six days a week. But I was as a kid. I was in the woods a lot. And, you know, sure, is it possible that, you know, I miss stuff or whatever? Of course. You know, we see sinkholes that form pretty solid circle patterns when they collapse sometimes. What do you think? No, I agree. It just seems statistically unlikely to, to happen on its own. Or to happen because of animals. Right. Unless you have a giant tripod animal running around. Could be. Maybe <laughs> there was a horse that lost a leg and didn't get put down and it was galloping around in triangular shaped horseshoes. Hmm. Never know. I mean, anything's possible, I guess. So this analysis goes on to say that no evidence has emerged to confirm that anything actually came down in the forest. And that just, it's such a dismissive statement. It's one of those, you know, we talk about thought canceling statements. I mean, if someone says no evidence has emerged to confirm that anything actually came down into the forest, there's going to be a large section of society that just looks at that and says, oh, well, they said nothing happened, so um, I'm going to go back to Facebook. And there is evidence. There's eyewitness testimony. And eyewitness testimony gets to me because if it's in court, the prosecutor, if it's his witness, is going to say, well, there's eyewitness testimony. It's indisputable. It's irrefutable proof that this happened. The defense attorney is going to come in and say, well, we have all these studies to show that witness statements can be totally inaccurate and influenced by outside sources. So I guess it all depends on where you sit on this, but an eyewitness statement is evidence. Whether it's 100% correct can be disputed, but you can't say it's not evidence unless you can actually refute what the person is saying, and you can't. So, it continues. According to the witness statements from the 26th of December, the flashing light seen from the forest lay in the same direction as the Orfordness lighthouse. When the eyewitnesses attempted to approach the light, they realized it was further off than they thought. One of the witnesses, Ed Cabinsag, described it as, quote, a beacon of light off in the distance, while another, John Burroughs, said it was a lighthouse. There's conflicting statements, but just because there's a conflicting statement, you can't just dismiss everything. Mm-hmm. Timings on Halt's tape recording during his sighting on December 28th indicate that the light he saw, which lay in the same direction as the light seen two nights earlier, flashed every five seconds, which was the flash rate of the Orfordness Lighthouse. So that's strong. I mean, that's to me, that sounds like pretty good evidence that, you know, if he's saying it flashed every five seconds, it was in this direction, then that's a strong piece of evidence pointing to that it could have been the Orfordness Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. The star-like objects that Halt reported hovering low to the north and south are thought by some skeptics to have been misinterpretations of bright stars distorted by atmospheric and optical effects, another common source of UFO reports. Now, these are trained individuals, and I just keep going back to that. If it was, 
you know, a seven-year-old kid that was by himself in the woods and said this, I think this argument would hold more weight. But since we're talking about trained individuals, and we can't just throw it out as evidence, but we can't say, oh, that's definitely what it was then. And when you have five or six pieces of weak skeptical evidence, that also doesn't lead up to having strong evidence. It leads up to five points of weak evidence. The brightest of them to the south matched the position of Sirius, the brightest star in the night sky. In his January 2009 Skeptoid podcast episode titled The Rendlesham Forest UFO, scientific skeptic author Brian Dunning evaluated the original eyewitness reports and audio recordings as well as the resulting media reporting of this evidence. After a lengthy analysis, Dunning concluded, Colonel Halt's thoroughness was commendable, but even he can be mistaken. Without exception, everything he reported on his audio tape and in his written memo has a perfectly rational and unremarkable explanation. All that remains is the tale that the men were debriefed and ordered never to mention the event and warned that bullets are cheap. I think this was Ed Cabinsag that allegedly had that said to him in a debriefing and he still decided to come out and say this so if a military that we know runs black sites we know runs false flags we know suicides people if someone there says bullets are cheap i'm gonna take them pretty seriously right this is again in the no joke zone but go ahead well, as we've seen on television, the men all talk quite freely about it, and even Colonel Halt says that to this day nobody has ever debriefed him. So this appears to be just another dramatic invention for television, perhaps from one of the men who have expanded their stories over the years. When you examine each piece of evidence separately on its own merit, you avoid the trap of pattern matching and finding correlations where none exist. The meteors had nothing to do with the lighthouse or the rabbit diggings, but when you hear all three stories told together, it's easy to conclude that the light overhead became an alien spacecraft in the forest. Always remember, separate pieces of poor evidence don't aggregate together into a single piece of good evidence. And that goes both ways. I mean, it seems like he's kind of saying, well, what's good for the goose isn't necessarily good for the gander. The evidence on both sides is spotty and a little weak I, I think we just kind of broke down everything but mm -hmm. it should be noted though as well that where there's smoke there's fire and people are rotting away in prison because of quote poor evidence the people that were involved in this case were trained military and had been at the air force base long before the incident and had been on patrols never having seen anything like what happened that night so, to believe it was stars, a satellite, a fireball, a lighthouse, rabbit diggings, and deer screaming, you have to do some mental gymnastics too, right? Well. But Dunning concluded you can stack cow pies as high as you want, but they won't turn into a bar of gold. But they will destroy the atmosphere and cause global warming on a scale unknown to humanity. UFO Trail in 2005, the Forestry Commission used lottery proceeds to create a trail in Rendlesham Forest because of public interest and nicknamed it the UFO Trail. In 2014, the Forestry Service commissioned an artist to create a work which has been installed at the end of the trail. 
The artist states the piece is modeled on sketches that purportedly represent some versions of the UFO claimed to have been seen at Rendlesham. Change of Heart In 2010, Jenny Randalls, who first reported the case in the London Evening Standard in 1981 and co-authored with the local researchers who uncovered the events, the first book on the case in 1984, Sky Crash, A Cosmic Conspiracy, emphasized her previously expressed doubts that the incident was caused by extraterrestrial visitors. While suggesting that a UAP, an unidentified atmospheric phenomenon of unknown origin, might have caused parts of the case, she noted, Just so we're clear real quick, the the UAP she's talking about, uh, the unidentified atmospheric phenomenon, that may have been a term that was used you know back then but now the official term as far as i know for a uap is unidentified aerial phenomena and they took the atmospheric out of it because that kind of boxes you into oh it had to be you know the sun reflecting or a meteor or something like that so just to clear that up but what did she note Whilst some puzzles remain, we can probably say that no unearthly craft were seen in Rendlesham Forest. We can also argue with confidence that the main series of events was a series of misperceptions of everyday things encountered in less than everyday circumstances. Who who knows? She could be on the military payroll too. But we've got, again, trained military professionals. And if these guys are who we have guarding our base, what the fuck, man? I mean, if if these people are able to be tricked into believing that there's a UFO on their military base, pull those people, you know, send them back to laundry or, or cooking or something. They, they don't need to be out in the field. Mm-hmm. In any case, uh, going back to the hoax. In December 2018, David Clark, a British UFO researcher, reported a claim that the incident was set up by the SAS as a revenge plot on the United States Air Force. And I guess SAS is that Secret Air Service or Special Air Service or? Yes, Special Air Service. Which would be the British military. According to this story, in August 1980, the SAS parachuted into RAF Woodbridge to test the security at the nuclear site. The United States Air Force had recently upgraded their radar and detected the black parachutes of the SAS men as they descended to the base. The SAS troops were interrogated and beaten up with the ultimate insult that they were called unidentified aliens. To enact their revenge, the SAS gave the USAF their own version of an alien event. As December approached, lights and colored flares were rigged in the woods. Black helium balloons were also coupled to remote-controlled kites to carry suspended materials into the sky activated by radio controls. However, Clark's investigation concluded that the story was itself a hoax. And I'm glad that he came to that conclusion because, come on, remote-controlled balloon kites flown through the... I mean, that's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? So, so is parachuting onto a U.S. Like right during the cold war and expect right. to get shot at like hey we'll just do it and see what happens if that was to take place people would know about it they're not right. just gonna like pop in and get blasted it's not like they're gonna be like well hopefully they'll see that we have 
you know, a cup of tea in our hand and they won't shoot us down. No, they're going to blast your ass. I would. I mean, shit, if I saw armed personnel parachuting into my yard, eh, it's not going to be pretty. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I think that we can rule out the hoax. And it's very possible that the hoaxes were put out there as disinformation, too, because people hear hoax and they shut down. If you hear hoax, then you're just done. So you go back to Facebook or whatever meaningless shit you're doing right now. Final thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think they saw something. I don't think it was the Orfordness lighthouse. I don't think it was a prank either by an American soldier or British ones. But I don't know. It's There's so many goofy explanations, and it looks like they didn't investigate super, super thoroughly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It it does suggest to me a cover up or that they knew something about what was going on. Like, hey, don't worry about. It. Like, yeah, yeah, we we know about that. Just don't talk about it. Right, right. Like, which you it, know it, happens it, all the time. Yeah, I right. mean, if someone gets pulled in and they say, "Hey, you saw this," don't say shit about it. They're not right. going to say anything. Right. I'm not a hundred percent that. You know, these were aliens from another galaxy that came down to do what they did. But I think it's, and it may sound crazy, but I think it's more likely that it was a UAP, either extraterrestrial or terrestrial from a rival military that would come in and test the security and maybe say, oh, they sent people out right away. You know, they they got on us right away. They couldn't shoot us down or whatever. But we know now that it takes them two minutes to get to the middle of the woods here. So that's how much time we have to, you know, run our operation or whatever. I, I don't I don't think that the explanations given lead up to this was a, a mistake, that they just got everything wrong. And if they did, I would think that the military would have come out and said, these guys, you know, we made a mistake. We need to have them reevaluated psychiatrically or, you know, whatever. I mean, hell, I would believe that, hey, we dosed our guys with acid and wanted to see what would happen. I would believe that more than rabbits digging three symmetrical triangle holes in a symmetrical triangle pattern. That's where I stand. I think that it had nothing to do with the American military or the British military. If it was military, it was a rival country. And we haven't seen objects like that be reported since then. So I I guess if it was a rival military, they said, no, this craft isn't good enough to do what we want it to do. So we're going to, you know, try something else or, or whatever. I don't think that it was a hoax. I think that is pretty much blown out of the water. Yeah. I mean, I think you can cross hoax off your list. So, yep. What do you guys think? Aliens? It's got to be aliens, right? One day this is going to come out and we're going to be dead. And our great grandkids are going to be like, oh, I think great grandpa did a podcast on that one day. And they're going to be like, what's a podcast? But (laughs) aliens or rival country. I agree. All right. Well, let us know what you think at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out Exploring Evil for your true crime fix and movie hell for your Siskel and Ebert fetish. 
Good evening, Crypt Keepers. 